is great to be here on this Wednesday. Kevin and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. We'll talk with Cam Rogers of the Believe Network, national betting and golf analyst. He will join us. We'll talk U.S. Open this week as it tees off tomorrow. Who are some of the favorites? And what are we looking at uh, as we get some, some actual golf? Heaven forbid. Are we, allowed to say, are, we, are we actually allowed to talk golf this week? Or is it just what's going on between the P? I I mean, think. Think about this, Ben. You have the USGA putting on the U.S. Open, and we're talking about the PGA versus the Live Tour while the USGA is putting on their uh, big national open event. I mean, again, it's a, a crazy week there. We'll talk to Cam Rogers about that. Also, Ben will sit down with Gregory Gibson uh, for Troop Talk this week, and uh, we'll look forward to that coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll check in on Falcons camp. For, uh, for those who were saying I was seeing a little bit of Russell Wilson, in Desmond Ritter, well, I think we might have seen a little bit of Joe Wilson uh, <laughs> out there today. So I'm saying. At the end of the day, Kevin, listen, you, you know just like I know. I, we don't have to do, look, fake love is like fake hype. Don't need it. Don't need it. Just keep it if it's going to be fake. But Desmond Ritter's realizing real fast. Just because your phone can say it back to you, you're going to have to say it back to real people. <laughs> we'll see what happens. And you're going to have to get into it. We'll tell you about the, about his day there as well. But Ben... Not, huh? I I don't I don't know if they're going to lose anytime soon. I thought you know again. You just look at the uh, the the odds. I know BJ is a big proponent of this, but I mean, you see a winning streak like this in a game like baseball, and you just go, this doesn't even make sense right now. And it's not so much that the Braves are winning; they're jumping on teams early. They're putting up five six runs before the other team's allowed to score, and you're just seeing things happen during the streak that you don't see happen very often. Are they playing? The monsters of the midway? No, I, uh, they aren't. But they're taking advantage of the softness of the schedule, which still has uh, what another couple of days to it. It ends with that Cubs uh, Cubs series this weekend, and then you jump right back into it. You got the Dodgers coming up next week. Uh, they're in in uh, almost said Turner Field, but in Atlanta, and we'll see how the Braves stack up. But you're certainly uh, you utilize some of these things, Ben, to build momentum, right? I mean, people say this. Uh, all the time in college football. Oh, well, you know, Florida beat, you know, Ball State and, uh, you know, I don't know, pick another school, New Mexico State. Mm-hmm. They feel real good about themselves. Uh, you dang right they do, and they're playing with a lot of confidence going into a game like a Tennessee or something like that. So I think the uh, the Braves use this to really find themselves. Michael Harris has been a revelation, playing alongside Ronald Acuna in the outfield, batting ninth behind a resurging Adam Duvall, I mean, you're getting it from everybody, Ben. Everybody. Travis Darno hits a home run last night. Oh, man, Ozzy Albies goes down. Orlando Garcia goes deep. Like, I'm not saying that's going to be every night, but you literally can't pinpoint it uh, and say, boy, Acuna is carrying this team right now. Oh, he's playing well. He's playing really well. But it's been a different cat every single night. Kevin, I, 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 I'm going okay. to say this until – the Braves po- proved me wrong. Culture supersedes talent. Corporate culture supersedes momentum. Arcia, we, we, we talked about him stepping in last night, right? We, we understand Ozzy's going to be out for at least 60 days. Goes yard. Somebody told, somebody told uh, you know, uh, you know, Travis Arno, <laughs> look, I want to. Hey, man, they, they still doing uh, all-star voting. You trying to get you some late votes in? That's right. And what do we say about starting pitching when it comes to the Braves? If their bats are mashing. They are going to be hard to beat. They're jumping on teams early and late, by the way. 
the same team that can score eight runs in one inning. And because anybody could be the guy that night, it could be Azuna. It, it could be Acuna. It could be Ozuna. It could be, it could be Olsen. It could be Riley. Now it could be Arcia. Darno is, I mean, he matched it with the best of them right now. He's saying, look, man, I want to be able to be a focal point. To be able to, because like we say, Kevin, when you talk about talk about that outfield and what he can bring to the table, different things. I just I just like that the Braves understand this. <clears throat> no matter what, we still chasing the Mets. No matter what, we don't want to think about the wild card. Is, the wild card is, yeah, you could be first in the wild card, second in the wild card. No, man. We want to control our own destiny. We want people coming to us. We want to be able to say, and it's, it's, it's a lot of pride. We can talk about when, you know, winning these uh, divisions, man. Most teams are just in the division. They just make up, you know, just make. But I think when you talk about what this Braves team has showed last night, Kevin, isn't it crazy? Going into the game, it was all about Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Or see, see, coming out of the game, psh, 13 in a row. And that's what Ozzy, Ozzy is going through now in one game. What Ronald Cooney Jr. had to do for the rest of the season. Dude, yeah, you think they're going to miss me? Not from what I saw. Like, yeah, your impact. Yeah, what you do in the dugout. But as far as, like, that lineup, dude, the Braves are – the Braves are – this is how well the Braves are playing. We understand up there in New York, talking about the Mets, talking about the Yankees. I get it. But the Mets got to show that they got staying power because maybe Kevin, that 10-and-a-half games back, really told the Braves, look, man, we're going to do it. We need to do it now. And – you said it. Going into June, you know, we were saying, look, at the, you know what? We are, we are uh, rapidly approaching the 20th. Right. And look and look at what the Braves are. I, I just – what I like about it is they having fun. They mashing. They playing good defense. Pitching is uh, – starting pitching is doing incredible. Obviously, the bullpen is doing incredible. When all three phases – you know, when all three phases, all phases of baseball is doing well with really no hiccups, and Ozzy is out for 60 days – and we ain't even talking about Mike Soroka. I'm telling you, man, this Braves team, I mean, you don't got to like it, but when you talk about an incredible franchise that's really saying, look, we don't want to have that, that World Series hangover, got to love yeah. what you're saying right now. A nice note from uh, Dave O'Brien with the, uh, the Athletic. This time a year ago, after uh, 63 games, the Braves had a losing record and were five games behind the Mets in the East. Uh-oh. This year they have a winning record and are five games behind the Mets in the National League East. The Braves right now, Ben, have hit the most home runs in the National League. I mean, uh, uh, it's fun to watch. Every single night, it's like, boom, there's another one. And it's not even close. I think they're I think they're like 14 or 15 ahead of the next closest team in terms of team home runs. They are mashing the baseball. And I think this is what everybody foresaw with this team. is like, when it clicks, yep. when it comes together, man, like th- th- this is a team that is going to pound out runs. There's not a well. I mean, maybe you look at our see if he goes. But when you look at it and say, look, there's not a whole lot of what you would consider relaxing out. Dansby Swanson playing out of his mind. He's hitting in between Austin Riley and Ronald Acuna. If I was looking scouting the Braves from the outside in, I would normally look at it and say, okay, maybe that's a chance to to to, to get it out. He's batting in between two two and he and he's on a tear. Matt Olson has really picked it up offensively. You would say, okay, maybe Travis Darno's the guy. He's picked it up offensively. Adam Duvall, you kind of figured he wasn't going to hit 180 for the season. He's picked it up offensively. Oh, they're bringing up this young buck, Michael Harris. Play really good defense. How well is he going to hit? Never been above double-A ball. I think only played a couple of weeks a double-A ball. How's he going to hit? Oh, he's hitting 300 and doing just fine. 
I don't know if have the Braves lost since he's been caught. I guess they have, but I mean he's come up and done just fine uh, a bit. Two home runs, and he's hitting ninth. Where do you go to get an out right now uh, in this Braves lineup? I think that's a real question. Orlando Arcia. Okay, he's filling in. He leaves the yard last night. And that's the guy that you're hoping can fill in over the course of uh, this absence by Ozzy Albies, but showing he's got something yep. uh, in the tank. Yep. Now, if he goes 0 for his next 28 or something, that, you know. But where do you go to get an out right now with this Braves team? There is not an easy guy no. to pitch to. And I think, uh, look, you hold him down. And the way I see it is if I'm the other team, you are looking at this thing going, can we keep the dam from bursting? No runs, no runs, no runs. Uh Uh-oh, it's a six-run inning. And that's where the Braves have been really good at jumping on people where you're in the ball game and then, boom, within one inning, it feels like it's gotten out of control. And and to me, it's just there's not a moment right now, there's not a moment of relaxation if I'm an opposing pitcher with this lineup right now. There just just isn't. The one thing you could do, Kevin, I think everything you just mentioned me one thing, aggressive. The Braves are, listen, the Braves are very, very aggressive at the plate because they can be. The Braves are very, very aggressive, you know, on the mound because they can be. And that makes for a very, very dangerous team. You mentioned anybody in this lineup can hurt you now. I realize Arcia just got here. I get it. And and let's face it, Arcia, you know, Harris, they're going to give them opportunities to go out there and figure this thing out. We we get that part. Darno is hot, right? Olsen could get hot. Riley could get hot. Dansby Swanson playing so well, we forget he could not hit the broad side of a barn when the, when the season first started. <laughs> yeah. And look at how well he – and to me, that just shows how well this team is. It's almost like, Kevin, expectation for the Braves is always different because, like you just said, when the Braves are – think about the opposing team. They're saying, look, man, even if you have a good inning, that's not really a microcosm of how this team plays. Why? Because when they jump on you, they jump on you, and they jump on you early, and they jump on you late. So if they if you go, hey man, three innings, we good. Uh, next thing, fourth inning, up, oh, they score four, they score five, and I think that you can see you can see the uh, the confidence that's in, that's with the starting pitching. But yeah, Kevin, we said it, and once again, Kevin, you have to tell me they're still to me not playing their absolute best. I mean, it's pretty and, good. And, and, I, and I think what's crazy is the one who they this is crazy. The one they really don't want to start mashing is Acuna because he can go off at any given. Moment, you love what they you love what they're doing right now, Kevin. They finding a way to control what they can't control. Uh, the Mets knew that this was going to be a fight to the finish, and like you said, Kevin, give yourself something, give yourself something, some breathing room, you know, before All Star break. Because after the All Star break, I mean, it's hey man, it's, it's a fight to the finish. But you got to love the Braves. Uh, the fact that they they down Ozzy Albis and they still finding a way. Thirteen in a row, that's hard to do in baseball, man. I don't care who you are, even if you are the Yankees. Yeah, but I, I just think that what this Braves team is doing is showing that, hey man, you can never count this Braves team out, and I think they're making the whole division good. Yeah, look, and again, they've made made a little separation between themselves and the Phillies now, and they're about equidistant, I think, between the Mets and the Phillies on either side of them. So you've separated from the bottom half. You're chasing down the front half. I don't know that the Mets are gonna, you know, when I say the Mets are gonna met, they'll come back to the Braves. Are is this Mets team? I think especially when they get Scherzer. Uh, and DeGrom, DeGrom back, I I think they, they have a gear they could kick it into. And, my goodness, if you want to feel nervous about something, go look at that last month's schedule. This The last month of the Mets schedule kind of looks like what the Braves are running through right now where there should be a lot of opportunities for them to win ball games. So you want to put as much distance uh, as you can or make that as tight as possible uh, so that every game in September really is, hey, we got to win and we got to find out what they did uh, as well. So, man, the Braves are playing really well, going for 14 in a row tonight. I, I don't even know what to say about him at uh, at this point. Spencer Strider, 
the young uh, fireballer going for the Braves. We'll have more on that. We'll take you up to uh, Braves coverage today here. 5.50 coming up a little bit later this afternoon. So much to get to uh, on the show. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We'd love to hear from you. You can also uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, as I mentioned, and YouTube. Go to ESPN Coastal on YouTube, and you can follow us along uh, every day. Uh, you can see Second Down, all the stuff we do there, uh, specifically just for video. Uh, you can find right there at ESPN Coastal on uh, on YouTube. And, of course, uh, ESPNCoastal.com you can go to as well, listen to the show live, get some, uh, some other updated sports news and more. We're coming right back. We're talking U.S. Open. Cam Rogers going to join us. Who's the favorite this week? And who's going to win this showdown between the PGA and the Live Tour? I mean, what, what, what do you do if – I know everybody says they can't. What if Phil actually plays okay? What if Dustin Johnson is second and Roy McIlroy is first? Because the talking point is, oh, it's all a bunch of washed-up guys on the Live Tour taking a paycheck. What happens if DJ's right there on top of the leaderboard? Could get very interesting. We'll talk about that with Cam Rogers when we come back. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here 3 and Out on this Wednesday, U.S. Open. Coming up tomorrow. Boy, it has been quite a uh, couple of weeks here uh, across the uh, the golfing world, uh, needless to say, with all the uh, the Live Tour, the PGA, and now the USGA kind of in the middle of it all. And uh, joining us here from Believe Network, the uh, national betting and golf analyst for Believe, it is Cam Rogers joining us here on 3 and Out. Cam, welcome. How are you? What's going on, guys? Great to be with you. A lot to talk about in the world of golf. It has been a surreal last few weeks, no doubt. And, and again, it seems to me like I, I mentioned this to Ben, like the USGA is putting on the U.S. Open. And so on, on some level, I appreciate uh, some of the guys who are like, uh, look, this is the, the U.S. Open. Can we talk about this? But the USGA is here putting on their tournament and we're talking about the PGA and we're talking about the Live Tour uh, and, and how this, uh, I guess, back and forth between these two is all going to play out. And I think it was Brooks Koepka's like, you're taking away from one of the majors here. Well, listen, I think there are journalists out there who have to do their job. They have to ask these questions. It very much is an important story because we have never really had a situation like this, certainly for me in my lifetime, in terms of a rival tour, which is posing as a real rival. We're talking about Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, potentially even Brooks Kepka going on over to this live golf tour. So there are going to be some ramifications from that as far as the PGA Tour is concerned. And also the USGA is allowing these live golfers to play in the U.S. Open despite all of these live golfers being suspended by the PGA Tour. I mean, it's a wild story. And if we're, if you have players who are getting mad about getting asked about that, like, are you living under a rock? Like, you should have expected this. Hey, Cam, is this, is this good for golf, though? As we mentioned, it, I mean, outside of Brooks Koepka and Bryson DeChambeau, you didn't get a lot of rivalries as far as, like, players when it came to golf. But at the end of the day, good publicity, bad publicity, all eyes are going to be on the Live Tour or versus the PGA from – as long as, I mean, at least for the next year or so. Listen, I'm on your show talking about it right now. I think it's fantastic. It's getting the conversation going to your point. Bryson and Brooks was great, but that's over. So what's next now? And I think we have some real animosity between these two different areas of golf. You have this dichotomy, guys, where it's like some players are for legacy and morals, if you will, like Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas, and others are for their paycheck. 
And who am I to criticize either direction, really? Everybody has to make their own decision here. And so, you know, going forward, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how many PGA Tour players the Live Tour can cherry pick, if you will, over to their golf league and whether this actually creates a legitimate rivalry. It really could going forward. And honestly, I bet it's super awkward in that, in that locker room at the U.S. Open right now in terms of guys interacting. Cam Rogers joining us here on 3 and Out. And Cam, to me, that's what everybody's waiting for, right? It is the, the, the live tours out there. We all know what it is. Mm-hmm. They still get to play the majors for now. To me, everybody's sitting back and saying, what is the real blowback here on Phil and Dustin Johnson and others? Because a lot of people are saying, and hey, look who you're getting the money from. And the other people on the other side will say, well, look who you're getting the money from are doing business with PGA Tour. And I think people are waiting to see if there's not a lot of fan blowback on these guys, maybe they can coexist. Obviously, these guys want to play the majors. I'll start there. They're playing this week. Do you think the Masters and the uh, and the, the the Open Championship, the Royal and Ancient, are going to say, I mean, at the end of the day, we can invite who we want. It doesn't appear to be a big deal. We're going to let them play. That's the nightmare scenario for the PGA Tour, right, guys? Because in theory, you could cash out on the Live Tour and yet still play in the four major championships every single year. Important distinction to your point, RNA, the PGA, Augusta National Golf Club, and the USGA all run their respective major championships. So the PGA Tour has nothing to do with them. And so, you know, you have the U.S. Open, which prides itself on just that, being open. Anybody can qualify. Anybody's allowed in. So that's their logic. Probably going to be the same logic with the RNA at the Open Championship, the British Open. Hey, we're open. Come and play if you qualify. What is really going to be interesting is, is what Augusta National is going to do. And my prediction is they will shut it down to live golfers unless you have won a Masters before. Because if you've won a Masters before, you have lifetime exemption, and so you're fine from there. The PGA will be interesting as well. And so I think it's going to be a really intriguing storyline to watch, and we won't get a decision from the PGA or Augusta National anytime soon. We will, of course, hear from the Open pretty soon. But, you know, if two allow and two don't, I mean, it's just going to be a funky situation. I mean, think about this, guys. In a, in a microcosm of this wild story, Phil Mickelson is going for the career Grand Slam as a suspended member of the PGA Tour. I mean, it's just insane. I know everybody get into the whole moral, uh, you know, compass of the guys that took the money from Liv, and we, and we understand that. But I think the PGA, uh, they really, they really, really dropped the ball on this whole loyalty thing. They was thinking that they're loyal to the PGA, but at the end of the day, when people say, "quote they did it for the money," no. If you're a pro golfer, all of y'all do it for the money. You, as, as Kevin mentioned, you just don't like the fact that I didn't want to take money from this entity. Exactly. And listen, I think the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, got a little too fat and happy, a little too complacent about this whole live golf tour situation. Like, oh, nobody's going to leave. And look, Phil, DJ, Bryson DeChambeau, Sergio Garcia, all these guys are major champions, Patrick Reed. They're all going over here to cash out. And so if you're Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA Tour, you sort of have to huddle up with your inner circle and be like, guys, how do we improve the tour? Because this is a serious threat. How do we make this better? And so the logic is you bring in more fans, you bring in more ad revenue, you bring in better TV packages. That means bigger purses, and that means more money for PGA Tour players. So Hopefully, the takeaway here for the PGA Tour is to improve things and sort of make the Live Golf Tour an afterthought. Now, Live could go on forever, guys. I mean, there's an endless amount of money here with the Saudi-backed league, but it's just a question of who's tuning in and how many people will tune in. 
stay tuned on that because first of all, it's not going to last if we're just doing YouTube live and Facebook live. Like they got to find a TV partner. Cam Rogers, Jordan is here on three. To the golf this week, I mean, obviously this would be intriguing. I don't know if Phil's played enough to have a, a, a shot to win it, but what if Dustin Johnson and Rory are, you know, three and four going into Saturday? I mean, this is going to get awful interesting, not only from a golf standpoint, but for everything we, we just talked about. Do any of those guys who have crossed over have a legitimate shot to come out and win this week? Yeah, I really don't think anybody from the Live Tour does. Phil Mickelson hasn't played on tour in quite some time, and last week he wasn't all that great. His putting was horrible. Dustin Johnson has been pretty rough so far in 2022. I give a slight chance, slight, to Patrick Reed, only because he's steadily getting better. He's great around the greens, has really good course history at the U.S. Open, and I think this could be somewhat of a scramble fest this week, guys. We're talking about... The country club, the second smallest greens in major championship history. So if everybody's missing greens, everybody's in the same bucket. And it comes down to who are the best players around those greens, Patrick Reed being one of them. But we got to handicap this too. Like all the distractions and all the questions they're getting about live, right? How does that sort of cloud their mentality, if you will, trying to win a U.S. Open? It's hard enough that you throw in the fact that the media is all over you. You got to think about that too. I know that most of the times when you are a pro anything, it's all about your legacy. How are they going to remember me when my playing days are over? Phil Mickelson. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about a guy in the last month that has been in the, been in the uh, you know, a media for the wrong reason. Then you talk about the live and taking the money, which some people like it, some people don't. What is Phil Mickelson's legacy at this current juncture? Phil Mickelson is one of the more confusing characters in golf history, right? We're talking about a guy who has – Obviously, gone through, gone through different layers of his career. First of all, it took him forever to win a major championship. He finally won a major. Then he started rattling off more major wins. And then, you know, he sort of developed this persona as Mr. Thumbs Up Family Man, signing autographs till the sun goes down. But also, there's this aspect to him where, obviously, he has a massive ego. He's got a gambling problem. He's cashing out on $200 million, perhaps because of that gambling problem. And, you know known for his awful apologies, throwing Tom Watson under the bus at the Ryder Cup. So you see that there are so many different layers to Phil Mickelson. That's why there's a biography about him by Alan Shipnuck, and I definitely want to read it at some point. So in terms of his legacy, I would say very confusing. And I am sort of struggling with my own self in terms of actually generating an opinion on his legacy. Hey, he's a Hall of Famer. Brandel Chambly went out and said, Get him out of the Hall of Fame. That's a ridiculous tweet. I don't know why he said that. Uh, And so, you know, in that regard, he's done some good things for the game. I think the matches have been a great thing, guys, against Tiger. And you have Mahomes and all these guys getting involved. It's been great for charity as well. So there are a lot of layers to it. And uh, obviously, you got to allow for people to make their own judgment. All right, Cam. uh, Cam Rogers joining us here. Give us us your favorite this week uh, there at the Country Club. Uh, to bring home a major championship. Are we looking at a first-time winner? Who you got? Yes, we are. Xander Shoffley is my pick to win. First-time winner in terms of the majors, of course. Depending on where you look, 22-1, to 1, something along those lines in the outright market. Five top tens and five U.S. Open appearances. Only Bobby Jones back in 1920 has a longer streak at this tournament. Seventh on tour, tee to green. Eighth in strokes gained approach over the last 24 rounds. The best sand player in this field, top 10 in bogey avoidance as well. He's built for U.S. Opens. I think it's time for him, guys. 
So there you go. Take it to uh, the bank. You can follow Cam on Twitter. Great Twitter handle, by the way, Mr. Rogers 99. Won't you be his neighbor there on Twitter all day long? Cam, we appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Great catching up with you. Appreciate it. Cam Rogers joining us here on uh, 3 and Out, part of the Believe Network there as he covers golf, as national betting analyst uh, there as well. And certainly a lot of intricacies, as he said, just outside of the golf. But how do you factor in what's happening outside of the golf course into how guys play this week. To me, that's very interesting because the first couple of days have been nothing but questions about why are you playing over there and guys coming out saying, well, why would you go play over there? This is the best. You know, I mean, it's been, it's kind of been like the stump speech versus the defense of why you're playing over there so far the first two, three days this week. Kevin, the library is officially closed when you talk about golf right now because everybody's talking, right, Rory? It's almost like the PGA versus the Live guys. And he's saying like they're taking the easy role and Live guys saying this. I just say this. When you talk about golf, what makes you, what, you know, unless you're just a lover of golf or just a lover of the game, you're going to follow certain guys, you're going to watch. Controversy sells. And right now, you got a bunch of guys, because no matter what, I, I ain't get a chance to ask Cam, but how many guys that didn't go with the, you know, with the live to a behind the scenes Santa who I, I turned away a lot of money, and at the end of the day, well, I mean, just, as, just like anything else, Kevin, you know this is going to have its, you know, as, 30 days of, 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 of uh, headlines, and gonna, but, it's going to die like anything else. Well, I mean, but here's the thing is, is it done yet? I mean, I mean, because, again, there's a lot of people that think you read into guys' comments and you have guys that are kind of tossing aside, like Brooks Kepka. Hey, guys, we're at the U.S. Open. Why, why, why are we letting all this bring a, a, a dark cloud over a, a golf championship, a golf major? Right? Didn't say anything about it, and a lot of people said, is Brooks just waiting till the majors are over, and then he's going to jump and take mm-hmm. the money? And, and, again, I think some of the guys, because as you said, the Live Tour has as much money as they care to to use to try to lure guys away. Something It's not just like a billion dollars. I mean, they got several, I think it's hundreds of billions of dollars, but I think they've committed several tens of billions of dollars wow. to this thing. Wow. So the, the faucet is open, right? They can, they can afford to, uh, to, to go after guys. How much are guys like Brooks Kepka, who has largely come out and is like, look, no offense, I don't care about playing in Phoenix. I don't care about playing in Wisconsin. I, got, I care about the majors. If he knows he can play in those things, why wouldn't he go? I mean, there's a lot of people who think, hey, maybe he's waiting on it on this and the uh, the British Open or the Open yeah. Championship to be played, and then he jumps. Yeah. So I think there's still a lot of people who think there are more golfers who are ready to jump. They're yeah. playing the majors and then going for the payday. Well, the whole thing about it is, too, even with Brooks even with saying something, I don't care about playing the Phoenix. Brooks, you're, you're, you're a pro Well, I mean, golfer. he didn't say that specifically, I mean, yeah, I mean, but that's kind of what— You're a pro yeah. golfer. I mean, you play every day. You, you have to play golf. So think about your home course. Think about it if you somebody said, do I care about it? No, you don't care about it. But think about not caring about it and still making that much money for playing in it. Think about making more money in non-majors. Than you, no, no, no. You're going to make more money than you've ever made in golf, not even in golf, period. And I get it. The whole moral thing, I'm, I am not taking away anybody who decided I'm not going to be able to uh, take money from those guys. All right. But you're thinking about it. Because like you said, Kevin, the PGA is going to really have to decide, all right, man, how are we really going to do this moving forward? Because we don't want to ostracize every single person because of what they did. Because what's going to happen to – you know how it is, Kevin. Somebody behind the scenes say, man, you might have to make a public apology because if these guys start winning majors, right, then what are you going to do? Like you mentioned, if, if it does – if it is Rory, Dustin Johnson, you know, in three and four, on the leaderboard, 
Hey man, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think because you know who's loving it. The live to is loving all of it. Give of us course, all yeah. Publicity, we can get. We don't care about if you like us or don't like us. Because at the end of the day, man, money talks. Money's gonna talk no matter what. But when Cam said the PGA is gonna have to do something to accommodate, what are those accommodations gonna actually look like? Well, I mean, I think one that I think is coming is, hey, look, I'm not saying I'm gonna leave. I'm Rory McIlroy, but Jay. Guys, they're they're taking care of the caddies. Like, the caddies are getting money. They're living like, take care of those guys, right? Like, when they're out here with us every week, those guys are getting paid. They're getting cuts, right? Hey, my guy, I'm caddying for in the live tour ain't getting cut, which means what? Cha ching, I'm getting something just for going, earning my way as a caddy who obviously does not make as much as the golfers. You got golf caddies on the PGA Tour going, listen. Every week we show up. I wear a bib. That bib has sponsors on it. I have to carry it around for the PGA Tour. Do I get a cut of that? No, I do not. I'm a walking billboard for the PGA Tour each and every week. I don't get a guaranteed cut. My lodging doesn't get paid for. I come out of my pocket, and I make way less than the guy I'm holding the bag for. Like, well, unless I'm bagging for Tiger or something. If my guy's scrambling to make ten grand a week, well, guess what? Do the quick math. Let's say I get 10%. That's a grand. I paid for my air flight. I had to stay somewhere for a week. I had to pay food. So you might have. Then Uncle Sam's going to take their cut. I might have done all that for at the end of the day to net a couple hundred bucks. God forbid he doesn't make the cut. I get zero. So I think if I'm if I'm the PGA Tour guys, I'm going to PGA Tour. Guys, hey, guarantee something for the caddy. So each week they're taken care of on some of the base stuff like Pay for him to get here, pay for him to have a place to stay or come up with caddy lodging. Whatever you want to do, take care of him from that standpoint and uh, let their money go further. I think that's one thing that's absolutely going to happen. We'll come back with more. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Till the phantom pull up. No, he looked like Desmond. That, that, that's who he looked like. And I don't want to be hearing no more of this. Don't compare nobody. To, no, he looks like Desmond Ritter uh, Sr. Hopefully he's a junior. That's what we should look like. His daddy. He don't look like nobody else. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying, like, the D. Orlando reporting from minicamp today saying, look, they were running seven on sevens, which is all the craze around high school uh, football. And certainly you're going to do it. Basically, no linemen in yep. play. Yeah. One of four during one of the seven on seven periods, which, for those of you who keep your score at home, not particularly great. And actually tucked it and tried to run it on a seven on seven, which you, you, you can't do. So, I, look. The head is spinning, and that's not a criticism. I'm not supposed to say that's not a criticism mm-hmm. of Desmond Ritter, but more of just the the wake up call. You've ta- ta- if you've listened to this show, you've heard Ben say, "Look, I don't care who you are, tight end, running back, defensive end. Your head is spinning right now in rookie minicamp and in minicamp, and when you go to training camp, and most of these guys aren't playing quarterback. It's going to be a process, and." Uh, that's why a lot of people, uh, you know, got excited when it was just, hey, just a couple of guys out there throwing the football. Well, guess what? The playbook's getting thicker by the day. The reads are becoming more complex by the day. And you've got to be on top of all that. And I think you, you knew a struggle was coming, which is why people who said he should start over Marcus Mariota were insane. Right? I mean, it's, 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 again, I just look at this more as a wake-up call of like, look, is he going to be good? Maybe. But it ain't going to happen now because, again, you're a rookie learning a playbook. And, Ben, I'm just going by what you said. You said, look, when I was, I was a tight end, they wanted me to do two things. I was either going to block or I was going to run a route. That, that's what I was going to do. I didn't have to know 
what some of these other guys were doing. I was going to block or I was going to run around. And you said, look, I was all over the place. I can only imagine what it's like being a, uh, being a quarterback in the National Football League right now where you, as you said, are trying to learn schemes, packages, what, what you're trying to do as an offense. It, it's, it's rough. It's rough. Because the thing about, uh, the thing about Desmond, he has to know everything. Like when I say everything, not only do we got to know the offense and the terminology and the, and the concepts, you know, and the passing schemes and the blocking games and, and, and where the strength is, he got to know what the defense is doing. He got to know. He got to know. Is that two high? Is that one high? Is that two man? Is that two cloud? Is that cover three? Is that cover four? Is that, is, is, you know, and I, and I think that what people don't seem to understand about this is your job. You got to know who's your high. Who's your first read? What when do when do I got to when do I got to know the battle is over? When do I got to throw the ball away? When do I check from this? When do I here's another thing. If I check out if I check out of a run into a pass and the defense check into the they, they get into a run defense, do I check back out of it? Do I go out do, do I go do I go oh easy, 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 easy? You know, repeat, repeat, which they ain't gonna say repeat. I just think the thing that people don't get about a guy like Desmond Ritter is when people hear everything he's trying to do. Knowing it and applying it is two totally different things. I got to know how to say it first. There are guys that do this, and, and it's not crazy. If you are if you are the wife or girlfriend of NFL quarterback, you know plays like him. You sit in the house going, no, no, because you got to hear over all it is is saying the same thing, saying the same thing, saying the same things, right? And reportedly he recorded the play plays yeah. into his phone yeah. and plays them back so he could hear the play call and repeat and, and – Look, I get it. I, I'm not saying he's going to be a bad player. I'm just saying it is a lot to expect he was going to ever walk in there when, and be the starter from the yeah. jump over a guy who's playing the lead. Yeah. It takes there's a big get up the speed because as you said, Ben, it's all happening fast. There was you even said this. You went the wrong way. Stop. Why don't you know where you're going? Uh, I got nope. Plays over. Do it like exactly. you, you can't do it. Yeah. And and the it's reason moving and, quick. And the reason why I say it is this: when a coach says. It's disrespectful for you to not know what you're supposed to do. This is your job. What coaches do now is do this. They'll go, hey, man, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, you know, got chill with the fans. Should have been in your playbook. Man, what'd you do yesterday? Oh, man, I should have been in your playbook. Because this is your job. You ain't got class on Monday. You ain't got to study for a test. If When Desmond Ritter looks at those other 10 guys, they expect him to know what to call, know where they're going to be on the call, and be able to adjust on the fly. That's playing the quarterback position. The reason why Tom Brady came back is bigger than the fact that he loves to compete. He goes, dude, I love it. I love calling plays. I love the fact that this young cornerback think he's going to pick me off. I've seen them all, done them all, right? And he says, I play the quarter- I know the quarterback and play the quarterback position better than this guy. I'm not better than him. I play better than him. And the thing about Desmond, you have to engulf yourself and say to yourself, dude, I love it. I got to love calling plays. I got to love getting guys lined up. I got to know, you know, why I shouldn't have made that throw. I got to know why I shouldn't have. Because uh, sometimes a coach will call a play in a specific defense to see if he's going to check out. Call a play. He, and, and the coach is saying, look, look at the safety. Look, look at Desmond. And Desmond runs the play. like, Desmond, why did I play? What? Desmond, you can't run that. Listen, everybody know, okay, if it's too high, that's two safeties in the back, we running it. If it's one high, that means we got one more play we can't block, we're throwing it. Never in the history of quarterback is it going to be any different. But you got – this one thing I had to learn when it comes to the NFL. When I got interviewed after a play after a game, they said, man, you got kids? No, I don't got kids. But you got what? No, I don't got kids. And then my, my teammate, let me, let me do the interview. Uh, you know, all the media walk away, he goes, I got a wife. I got three kids that go to private school. So every time you drop a pass, we lose a game. 
I don't get an incentive. We don't make it to the playoffs. That's extra money that I don't get. You do got kids. What happened to you? Happened to me. What happened to you? Happened to us. He and, and, and Mike Munchak said it this way. He said, in life, you do things to get it right. Pros, we do it so we don't know how to get it wrong. That is being a pro. I don't know how to get it. Now, I can get it wrong, but I know why I got it wrong. Desmond, this is the big time, man. And everybody. Not, and, and again, I don't want, want people to think I'm, I'm hating on him. I'm not coming, at, I'm not coming yeah. to Desmond. But, Kevin, it's like this. And, and, this, and this is no offense. Podcasting ain't radio. It is not. <laughs> and that's, listen, and that's nothing to a great podcaster, right? But if you take a podcast and say, hey, man, I need you to go do this show for me the next two weeks. Well, a podcast says, go. No commercial breaks. I'm gone. <laughs> they say, no, speaking out. And I had to learn you're disrespecting the game when you don't know what you need to do because what coaches do, they're not going to call the play they know you know. They're going to call the play they know you ain't even look at that part of it. Call this. You look at uh huh, look at that part. Coach <laughs> play. So all I, all I know is Desmond really his head is spinning. But by the time training camp coming, but he better know that playbook because they're going to, it's going to be, that's the thing, Kevin. Quarterback is, I got to know everything. And I and I know he listen. I know he's twenty one, twenty two year old rookie man. But hey, man, as the coach say, you cash checks, yeah. Well, well that's why. Get, that's why I was. That's why I was. When when people started saying stuff like, "Man, I really get Russell Wilson vibes." That's why I was like, "Look, just slow down. Let 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 him breathe and try to play this thing first. Because then you get practices like today where it's like, hey, seven oh seven, like you can't even tackle guys, right? I mean, it's your running routes is basically glorified two hand touch. Hey, you can't get hit so, anyway as quarterback. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 glorified two hand touch. So if you're one of four on that, that's tough. If you're tucking the ball and running, that's tough. That's usually the the universal sign for I got sacked, right? Yeah. Uh, when you see that in seven on seven, quarterback just tugs it like you, you're sacked. The end. So there's going to be days like that. Yeah. That's why I just look. I like Desmond Ritter. I just want people to pump the brakes and let him learn the NFL game. When coach, when, listen. When you watch that tape. When, when, Otherwise, when, when, you're going to see Blaine Gabbard out there. When Jeff Fisher used to say, hey, man, look, don't wear your feelings on your sleeve. That means you're going to have to deal with some You're gonna have to deal with some, some, some tough coaching. But if you can understand why you're doing it, if you can understand why I'm coming at you, Desmond, what? You can't make that throw. I don't care how big of an arm you got. That's two guys covering one guy, and both the guys covering the one guy are faster than the guy you're throwing it to. Can't, can't get it. That's A.J. Terrell. He's in the top five of cornerbacks. But if you can make throws against A.J. Terrell, you can make throws against most cornerbacks in football because he's top five. But if he keeps picking you off every single time, you got to, you got to realize, hey, you got to know that ain't it. Now, he going to smile at you, and he ain't running back because he's tired. But in the league, but in the game, that's a pick six. You right back on the field throwing at him again. You know what gives the defense energy? Scoring points and turnovers, getting off the field. Because now they got time to rest. It's, it's, it, it, ain't for, it ain't for the week, but – Hey, man, welcome to the big times. This is what it is. And, I, and, and mind you, you know, I'm rooting for Desmond, but I know, listen, if my position was hard at tight end, I don't even want to know what a, what, a, what a quarterback has. Because every meeting room, he got to know what they're saying in every meeting room. I don't know what they're saying in his, but he got to know what they're saying <laughs> in mine, and he got to, he got to be able to pick it up. We've got more to come. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. It is 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Nice to have you along here on this Wednesday. We've got... Uh, the Braves coming up in a couple hours here, a little bit later uh, tonight, trying to go for 14 in a row. So uh, glad to have you along here on the show. Uh, ben had to step out, so we are going to be without Ben for the remainder of the show. I think we'll have an emergency fill-in. P.J. Zuko stepping in. On the spot, are you ready? 
And yes, Stetson Bennett stepping in with no clue of what's about to happen. Not at all. Yeah, <laughs> but, no. But I feel like Stetson had some practice, right? I mean, I just, it's like. Well, we're taking three, so here we go. I don't think second down's <laughs> practice at all. Second down's the main show. Are you, I mean, hey, are you ready? Here we go. I'll right, I mean, you're, you're, you're right into it. Uh, okay. Well, so, with no. What's funny is. <laughs> I mean, just say, the music's rolling. We're in it. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll let you catch your breath after this segment, but hey, here we go. Yep. Take one. I don't know if you saw this. Did you see fake Clay Thompson? No. You didn't see this? Okay. <laughs> so fake Clay. There's a guy. I'll, I'll 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 pull it up. There's a guy that looks exactly like fake Clay. Uh, like like Clay Thompson. Did he have another showing? Is that because like no, he a was few at, years ago? There was a no. This was a guy. He went to. He went to the uh, the game the other night. Okay, all right. He actually posted video on his social media of him driving up, looking like Clay Thompson, because he does look like Clay Thompson. Yeah. And he's like, hey, where's the player's lot? And the security's like taking selfies with him. He drives in under the arena parks, gets on the floor, oh, and no. shoots warm-ups, as you know, Clay. early pregame as Clay. And then they find out about him, and they, uh, you know, like, hey, man, you can't be doing that. Well, they banned him from the Chase Center. My wow. question in take one is, should they actually be welcoming him, though, as fake Clay Thompson? Like in the future? Like now. Like, why did you even ban him in the first yeah, place? No, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. Is like, you, you, you did this to yourself. You're the ones that allowed him. Like, you got, you got to be able to, even if someone, you know, looks like someone else, you got to have some sort of uh, more recollection of hey, that's that's not Clay Thompson, right? There's got to be some sort of telltale sign, and you know I I have seen the guy before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. Hey, he looks seen, just like him. Yeah, no, that's insane. I have seen him before, and he does look just like him there. But there's got there's no way he sounds like Clay Thompson, right? There's no way he drives. I mean, the this same, is scary how close he does is. look. There's no way he drives the same car as Clay Thompson. And yeah, things like that. So like I know you have different security workers and and everything, but We've seen it all the time, right? He, there's plenty of videos of guys walking through the tunnel of security workers and, and, and different workers around the stadium. They're like fist bumping, like, yeah, I've seen this guy for years now, blah, blah, blah. Clay Thompson, it's not like he just started playing with Golden State. So, like, first of all, you got yourself in this your own situation, Golden State. And to cover your behinds, <laughs> by banning him is it like sure he, did he do something wrong yeah is it a security issue if there was any sort of you know bad intent from him while this happened yes absolutely like no, I, I, I i'm kind of with some of the the players when they start talking about that kind of stuff then again you could use this guy as like a mascot of some kind right like you can use this in a positive way and they just completely threw that out the window by banning him for life so yeah, that's a little yeah I think there's a petition to unban him. I, look, you got to embrace that. Like to me, right. you, like if I'm if if I was like the Braves, there's a guy walking around that like looks like I don't know Ronald Acuna Jr. and he somehow sneaks into the locker room. Like, hey, you can't be in here, obviously, but we might use you. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, like you know, I, look, I I I I think that's a ridiculous Even thing for like stunts and gimmicks because and because like to that. me. It's one thing if you're like, hey, I snuck into the Super Bowl or I snuck, you know, there's people that try to do this. Yeah. It's another thing if it's like, no, your security people were, stu were too stupid 
to know that that was, really wasn't Clay. Yeah. So it's your fault I he mean, got in there. Exactly. You know, it's like he. I mean, granted, he wasn't supposed to be there, but he rolled up and said, "Hey, where's the players' parking lot?" And you didn't say, "Hey, man, like I know we played forty home games here, but yeah, it looks close enough. Come on, like nobody like at any checkpoint said, dude, like you're not Clay. Turn That's around. Clay, like, I, and, and I get in today's yeah. social media, the risk is like." Hey, I tell him he's not Clay, and then I wind up on so. But I'd rather be on social media saying I I thought he wasn't Clay than the guy who's not Clay gets let in. That's on you, Golden State. Don't ban him. Yep. Don't ban the guy. No, that's uh, that's on you. All right, moving along. Take two. I heard you guys talking about this on second down. So like any good person would do, I stole it. Good. So uh, that's so, so, <laughs> so that's I mean, what you should do. No, so, I agree. So I heard this topic. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna steal it. So I did. Take two. Who? Thinks they are a blue blood of college football, but they aren't really. Oh man, uh, that's great because I have the top one. I have one of the top top of the list. Uh, Michigan, Michigan. I know they have. But remember, sure. listen. I will. I will push back because I know you have your Michigan hate on because of Penn State. Listen, are they not the winningest program in college football? Are they? I think they are. They have the most wins all time of anybody in college football. Go check me on that if you want. I'm sure somebody will yell should, at me. I should probably and do check it. that. I, that's probably something that I should check before I, I say something like that. But I mean, I just like, so if they're not, who 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 is? We've won more <laughs> games than anybody that's ever played college football at the major college level. Yeah, you're not a blue blood. Okay, well if you're not. Who is? You've been around forever. I got and you've been fair seven enough. And five for I'm just trying to push back so against so many it here. years. I mean, that's my thing. Is like. When is when's your cut? That's the other argument. Is like when's your cutoff for for blue bloods of college football right now? Because I, I think there are some that like if we're talking about all timers, Army's probably got to be up there, right? Because I, I mean they've they've had a bunch of different you know huge players back in the day that put up ridiculous stat lines. They've won championships, plenty of them, and have been a program that's been around forever. I'm sure has plenty of wins. But do we think of them as a blue blood right now? No, no way. And and if you do that. That's kind of wild. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting to me. Like, Michigan is the first one that comes to mind because it's fallen off, right? Like, sure, they just beat Ohio State. Were they just in the playoff for? Yeah, for sure. Then again, if you look at their overall production and just what they've really done, what they've really done in the past 30 or 40 years, it's not a whole lot. There's a championship thrown in there, sure, but you've won one championship, I think, since like 1960. Um, not a lot of big wins. Several years where you've you've barely won over seven or eight games, really. I mean, it's just that's the thing is that they're called a blue blood, and they're thought they're they're one of these blue bloods because one, they've been around forever. Two, sure, they've won a ton of games, but three, they're always in the conversation of being sure. a great team, but. Have they ever really been that great of a team? Like, it is what it is. I I, I thought I heard you guys mention one, Nebraska. I thought that was kind of very interesting. I think they've fallen off. They they have because, like, I think people was, like, in the 90s, 80s, they were right there in that discussion, been around a long time, were good. Even uh, Frank Solich took over for Tom Osborne. Uh, They were good, and then they got what I called the – they were the pre-Tennessee, which, like, they got too big for themselves, and they were like, oh, we only won nine games this year. You're fired. Frank yeah. Solich, and then pfft, yep. went down the toilet. Tennessee, same way. Hey, uh, uh, Fulmer, we're, we, we haven't won enough SECs. We're only winning nine games. 
in 10 games, I think two years after he went to an SEC championship, lost to uh, Alabama, I, I believe, or Florida, one of the Tebow. I think, he, no, that yeah, would have happened. I'm trying to think. They went to an SEC championship and they lost it. I'm trying to think who it was. It's probably Alabama or Auburn, one of those teams. And he was fired two years later. Uh, and Tennessee went or, you know, right down mm-hmm. uh, the proverbial slide. So, look, no, Nebraska, to me, would be a good one. I said, if we're being honest, probably half the SEC thinks they're blue bloods of college football, and they're probably not. So Very true. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. like, it, we're blue bloods by association. Right. And it's just because, you know, like, Ole Miss, we're blue. No, 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 no you're stop not. stop it. <laughs> stop, Well, that's one of the things is, but, like, it's also generational, right, where, like, you know, we you you grew up and you had certain programs in where you were like well, just starting to be in college football and and you know pay attention to it and whatnot that were great and those might like who who you thought was great during that time might might not be great anymore and same thing for me that, in like the two thousands or whatever so but then like ride just the wave you had a good five or ten years doesn't mean you're a blue blood this is a great right? discussion so, I might have to carry this over but you ride the wave. Of up and down season, but I think largely here's how I define a blue blood. Traditionally, great program. They win. They have the traditions around it. They have the enthusiasm of a fan base that supports it. So even if they don't win, they're still kind of a big deal. I would say, and again, blue blood programs like college basketball, there's like six. College football, I think you're talking Bama, you're talking Ohio State, you're talking Texas. I know people don't hate, but I mean, Texas is no good. Dude, Texas always. Passion, intrigue, huge following, and even though they're down, they've largely been good more often than they've been down. They're, they're having a downspin right now. Oklahoma, I think, would be one. Southern Cal, and I may not throw another one in that mix. As far as a quote-unquote pure blue-blood college football program, I think there's like five. Any more than that, and you're just starting to you know just hand them out to everybody. So by proxy, you're saying that like Notre Dame. Oh, Notre Dame, sorry. Yeah, okay, they, okay. They, would be right. si- they would be six. Oh, that's fine. It, not in any particular order, but yeah, Notre Dame. So you'd have what? Notre Dame, uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Southern Cal, Texas, and Oklahoma. Six. There you go. I think Oklahoma, because I, I want to say like Oklahoma has not won less than six games in like 50 years. It's like it's something ridiculous. Yeah. No, like it's, they, it's they, they, they are in, uh, in, a, uh, in a big run. So. That and I think, and they're like the flag again, the flagship huge yeah. football love school. That's like, hey, love Oklahoma. It's like, where's the cut? Like, there's there's ten schools I think other than that that could have an argument to be a blue blood, but are are they on the outside looking in or are they not? That's kind of based on uh, your parameters of what you think. Because like you said, if we start to have you know 15, 20, 25 blue bloods of college sure. football, then we're just handing them out to anybody. So. Yeah, you you really got to keep the list there. small. You got to keep know? the list small. For sure. Just like college basketball, it's Kansas. It's well, I think the reason they're called blue bloods in basketball is because they all wear blue. But it's like UCLA, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, UNC, and I don't know. That might be it. There's five. Yeah. Of college basketball, where I it's think like it's hard they to love argue it. You really anyone else? So let me just make sure. I got UCLA, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, UNC. I don't. I don't really know and if there's li- another one. That's the crazy thing about it too. Is like not only are they the blue bloods, like, and have they been good forever? You name those five, they could be the preseason top top five next it, year. It could be. I mean, it could be. It's always like that. That's why they're blue bloods. All right, moving along. Take three. We got to keep this thing uh, rolling along. Take three. Tomorrow is game six. We'll have it for you here with uh, the Warriors and the Celtics. Is that the last game of the year? This is where I find out if PJ is a NBA conspiracy theorist. 
Oh. Or not. <laughs> oh, really? I.e. it must go seven to appease uh, uh, to appease the money folks. I don't think it has to go seven. Uh, I, I'll say that I, I'm pretty sure I said Warriors in six early, like be- before the series started. I will say it probably goes seven, though, because it's this has kind of had an on and off feel of the series. I don't think Boston has enough people around their big three, the, the big three that they have right now, to win game seven. But I do think maybe they, they get one in the garden there uh, well, coming up. So I'll say it goes seven, uh, but I think the Warriors just have too much ultimately. All right. I, I think tomorrow's it. And it's karma, Boston. Don't print up T-shirts with a blank freaking banner on the back yeah. saying, like, this is it. Like, you no, it wasn't over. Like, did they did that for what uh, was, like, game three or four the other night. Like, it was, you you're up, to, you had two wins. And you're putting up shirts for everybody to wear that has all the titles and one blank banner. Like, is this, like, don't do that. I, I, again, there's a lot of different things. It's man. Boston's fault for doing stuff like yeah. that. Don't do that. There's the Boston guy that has the tattoo already. Of yeah, the yeah. Championship. You're a moron. There's, there's the Boston sign outside that Aisha Curry can't cook. It's, it's literally <laughs> th- 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 her, her husband is Chef Curry. Of course, they both can cook. Now listen, what do you mean? Listen, no. Here's the thing. Here's <laughs> that, the thing. That T-shirt was great. That I, get, look, there's two anyway. games left, and Golden State only needs to win one of them, and they have Clay and Steph. I would not get a tattoo of Golden State winning the championship, and they only need to win one game. Not doing it. Of course, I wouldn't get a tattoo for pretty much any reason there because. You go. <laughs> I can't think of anything that I, especially on this body, yeah, that I would want to sit there and uh, and and look at every day for the rest of my well, life. No, like you, like you, much you, less putting on like a hey we're the like that would just be a hey twenty twenty two NBA champs like why, like when you're yeah. eighty years old you're gonna be like yeah bro, yeah uh, grandson uh, grandpa put twenty twenty two NBA champs Boston Celtics. Did they win? Well, well, no, they didn't, but, uh, you know. It was crazy uh, at the time. It, it, it looks good. No. It definitely felt like they were going Grandpa, to. not on your saggy leg. It really doesn't look good now. Not at all. And whatever <laughs> you cover it up with, that's not going to look good either. <laughs> yeah. Actually looks like 2032 now, the way the uh, <laughs> the skin's wrinkling. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that's a whole other debate for another time. That's take three. We do it each and every day this time. We're coming right back. We got more to come here. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas here with you. Uh, PJ Zuko filling in for Ben Troop and had a, an emergency he had to go uh, take care of. Uh, so PJ has admirably jumped in in the hot seat in the last few minutes to, uh, to take you home uh, with me the rest of the way. So thank you, PJ, for, uh, for filling in. But we have uh, a folk call, our good buddy, AC, on the line. AC, what's up? Good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. How you guys doing? Hey, we're doing fantastic. Absolutely. Well, today I want to talk about Anthony Davis. I know Anthony Davis said over the weekend or last week that uh, he did not shot a basketball for the, uh, since April 5th. So it's been a two months. In my opinion, just like Stephen A. Smith, barking A. Smith, they are overreacting. Come on, it's June, not September. Give this guy some break. Enjoy your vacation, whatever you want to do, because you have a team, you have a head coach. Enjoy your vacation. Make sure you report to the training camp in September and just run it. If you want to win a championship, start your training in September. Right now, everybody should go to the beach. Just enjoy it. Listen to this radio station, 3 to 6 o'clock. Oh, they should hear my call. I mean, just enjoy life, man. Why are everybody, why on earth, everybody's overreacting? Anthony Davis said he did not start a basketball for two months. Who 
who cares if he doesn't shut a basketball for two months? He's making money, so why am I getting so emotional? It makes sense at all. Or a guy like Stephen A. Smith, he barks like a dog. I, I could finish him off too at the same spot. But you know, I love you. You guys are doing a great job. I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to give you predictions. I'm going to talk about a lot of things. I want to rile up a lot of fans so they can call your station. Not at me. It doesn't matter. You know, I love you. That's why, Brother PJ, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to hang up. Brother PJ, to under honor your name, I'm going to eat some peanut butter jelly sandwich. Later. Okay. <laughs> See, that was, that was a lot uh, in a short amount of time. Look, Anthony Davis, uh, is everybody overreacting? Of course they're not. Here's how I know you're, you're, they're, they're not overreacting. Does Anthony Davis think he's one of the best big men to play the game? I know AC's not on the phone, but I'm going to say he he, he probably thinks he is. Uh, not doing that is why you're not Shaq. That's why you're not Kobe. That's why you're not LeBron. And you're not going to go down as one of the best players of your era. Right? And I mean, you're going to say, it's June. Okay, it is June. I guarantee you LeBron might not be going the hardest in the offseason. I guarantee LeBron's put in some shots. Like, I, 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 that's all I'm saying. Like, LeBron James doesn't go, the season's over in April. I'm not picking up a basketball till September. Like, I can almost guarantee you he's not. And LeBron, I think, has a lot more to do than Anthony Davis does. Just away from the court. I'm just, again, I'm not all up in the bottom. I'm just saying, when I hear stuff like that, we're like, oh, man, even if it's off the cuff, I haven't picked up a basketball since April. And that's why you're not going to be considered great. That's why when you're in New Orleans, everybody forgot about you. That's why when... Uh, Am I wrong? Tell, of, tell me I'm wrong. There's, there's, just, there's a lot of different reasons. But, no, but I'm uh, saying people go, oh, stuff like that doesn't matter. No, it does. That's what, Again, if you want people to pay you like you're great, yeah. as Ben said, quote, it's your freaking job. Mm-hmm. It's not, hey, Anthony, we want you to play basketball from October 1st until April 10th, and then you can set it down yeah. and not pick it up again. Like, no. That is why Anthony Davis, to me, Will not be a great player. He's a good player. Will he ever reach the elite status? I mean, he's playing with LeBron right now. What were we talking about when he was in New Orleans? Oh, man, a great player. His team's not good. Like, And we've seen countless examples. Somebody can tell me wrong. It's fine. We've seen countless examples of guys who were good players on bad teams. And we've seen guys who were good players on teams that weren't great pull them along and get them to another level. Yeah. Is that Anthony Davis? I don't know. And again, I'm not saying you got to be like, Hey, every day, thousand shots. Like, no. But I know when you see guys, everybody that's ever been considered elite: Kobe, LeBron, Mike, Magic, Larry Bird. I guarantee you, if you go ask them, hey man, when the season was over, did you just not pick up a basketball until the the preseason the next year? I guarantee you, the answer is no. I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm is 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 it a big deal at the end of the day? If he doesn't think it's a big deal, I guess it's not. But if you want to be a considered an elite player, you probably can't just set it down and pick it back up when the season starts. No, just uh, me. Yeah, I, no, I, I would agree with that. I think even like you talk about the off season, you talk about taking breaks, resting up your body, whatever. Even then, there's guys in rehab and things like that, and healing up their 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 injuries and stuff that are still picking up a basketball and doing something. Um, so, yeah, I I think that is a, a little ridiculous. And like you say, you bring up those examples. I don't think a lot of those guys could 
could go a long time without wanting to pick up a basketball. You know what I mean? Because it's just in them. Like, it's it's in their blood. Well, I mean, I mean, but, but I would say but, the same thing about any sport, right? Yeah. Tom Brady. Do you think Tom Brady hasn't picked up a football since December or January when they were eliminated? Yeah, no, that's insane. Of course like, he, he has. Like, like, his whole career, the Patriots are done. Like, I'm not saying he just, like, doesn't set it down and comes back later. I, but it's like, Tom Brady is Tom Brady. And Aaron Rodgers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers likes to go to Maui. And he likes to go all over the world with the... I say the girlfriend of the month because, I mean, I can't keep up. Yeah, but whoever he's but, dating it, but my point is, Aaron Rodgers probably didn't get eliminated in January and say, well, training camp's in July, I'm good. Right? Yeah. I, I, I say, like, I'm not saying he's out there, you know, going, going 100% full, but I guarantee you he's at a local spot dropping routes to somebody, throwing footballs. Yeah. Like, or in saw videos it, of Russell Wilson doing the same thing. That's Tom Brady. You mentioned him. I, he's playing plenty of golf, and he's showing that on his social media. But I guarantee you, he's playing football too. I, I think one of the other biggest problems I have with, with Anthony Davis right now too is like I saw a video, Kevin, uh, of a lethal shooter as a guy on Instagram. He's not just a guy on Instagram though. He's an NBA shooting coach. Well, very well. So I love talking to you, young bucks. Right, you hit you me go. up with this stuff like, "Hey, man, there's a guy named Lethal Shooter." No, 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 no sure. He's no, a, I don't no, know. Who that's, that. just, that's just his <laughs> name. That's just his name on Instagram. Okay, but he's an NBA shooting coach. He's All right. worked with a bunch of different people. For I saw a a, a tweet, uh, Instagram post from him this morning saying, "Got some shots up with Anthony Davis today. First time we've worked together in a year and a half. A year and a half." <laughs> Great to see you again, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Think back to a year and a half ago, Anthony Davis was dominating, and the Lakers won a championship. So maybe it's maybe it gets some more work yeah. in with him, right? Not <laughs> Don't work a year with and a lethal half shooter. Well, no, work with him. <laughs> work with him more. Because you I, see no, what I got happened you. last year, man. I got you. I got the you. shooting was off. He was injured all year. And, and taking a, a two-month break of not touching the basketball is probably not making that any better. So I'm right there with you. I completely agree. I think my name would be... Brick Artiste. <laughs> that would be my that would be my name if I were teaching Did you see shooting. See that video of like there's there's a video of a guy putting shots up yeah, in the gym. Not even close. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like a, a a minute and thirty seconds long, and he's just yeah. has the most ridiculous jump shot ever. Except it's going now like over the basketball. Except now Oop. it's been so long since I've played basketball. Just I used to play basketball a lot. It's been so long. Like I would be the guy that's old now trying to shoot. Ugh! Like that would be me trying to shoot a three. Like every, come on, get shot, there. Every shot, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the sound. Ugh! I'm at the age. I will and I will say this, PJ. This is this is with certain things, and I know we all get there. Like I don't know if people do this on the golf course because it costs a lot to play golf. So I, I would I would finish it out. But I will say this: one of the last times I quote unquote played basketball. I was at my son's school. We were in the gym. I'm sitting in the stands watching them do what they do. It's the end of the game. Son throws me the ball and says, shoot one, Dad. I, hit, I, sh- I shoot it. I pop a three. I'm like, that's it. And I walk off. I quit. He's like, shoot another one. I'm like, nope, not doing it. Yep. Nope, I'm done. I'm at that age where it's like, walk out on top. Don't sit there and put up that's 17 it. more bricks because, hey, uh-huh. let the son think you're a legend. Exactly. Just walk out there cold in my, you know, my dress shoes and... Boom, done. See you. We're out. Oh, that's a very good let's go point. Get in the, let's go get in the car. <laughs> for, for one, like you said, just to make him think, like, listen, that's all I need. That, that's yeah. all I need. I'm, I'm that good. Just roll the Two, balls out. You made the right, you made the right decision anyway because you always leave on a made shot. So, that's right. I've tried to ingrain that in my children. They're like, what do you mean? It's like, you don't walk off the court on a miss. 
It's just, ba- it's just bad karma. We'll come back. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on this Wednesday. Counting down towards Braves baseball as uh, the Braves and the Nationals. Braves going for 14 in a row coming up later tonight. And it all kind of turned around uh, as P.J. Zuko filling in for, uh, for Ben Troop here. All kind of turned around. Brian Snicker had a, a closed-door meeting. I always love these. Had a closed-door meeting with the team after a horrendous, horrendous two-game losing streak to the Arizona Diamondbacks, who were not a great baseball team. And basically just said, look, guys, you're better than this. And, and, and they've turned it around, obviously, ever since then, and are in the middle of a 13-game win streak. My, my question is this. PJ, you've played sports, and I really wanted to ask Ben this. Uh, before he had to go, but was, was what's the deal with team meetings? Like, do you think team meetings actually work? And Ben told me off air he thinks they do, but, I mean, that seems to be the go-to now. It's like, things are going bad. Hey, we kicked all the coaches out. We had a closed-door team meeting, and now we got everything going right. Like, do you think the team meeting deal is a go-to, help you turn it around ploy when you're going bad? I think it it... It definitely like is is a ploy. It is a go-to nowadays, as you mentioned. Um, does it work more times than not? I don't know. I, I would have to say that it depends on what is said and what is brought up in said team meetings. If, the, if there's specific instances, specific things that are affecting the team and those are brought up in those meetings, they're addressed and they're thought, you know, that they're, they're people are thinking of a way to fix said things. Yeah. Then, yeah, I, I think those work. I think those work when there is a focus, when there is a, hey, this is going wrong. Maybe you can do this to fix this. Hey, this is going wrong. This is what I need to do to fix what I'm doing. And then we all kind of take responsibility over what's going on here. And, and we can change those things moving forward or we get it all out in the open or, or whatever. But just having a team meeting to have a team meeting, I don't know. That that doesn't work. So, like, that's what I'm saying. It's it's not – it depends on what happens in said team meeting. Now, do I think necessarily that the Braves was specifically one of those where, listen, this and this and this are happening. We need to fix it. This is how we fix it. This is how we move forward. I don't know if that's what it was. It sounds just like, guys, we need to focus up. All right, we, 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 need to, we need to be better. We're better than this. We need to focus up and play better. And then they started winning. But the flip side of this is what I've brought up on second down, and Krishna has a little bit different of opinion. He kind of swayed me to his side. Uh, I, I get that this might be some, some NFL or some NBA thinking of mine kind of put into, put into baseball. But at the same time, not only did that team meeting happen, but Kevin, also, you've said it before too. They're not playing world beaters in <laughs> well, this no, string yeah. of wins, right? Now I'll say they have started showing up a lot better, right? That they have been more consistent in in most facets of the game, which is good. But do I think the team meeting changed that, or was that just I think finding the right groove at the right time against of, the right stretch of teams? I think maybe some of it, but I think uh, for the, the way I see Brian Snicker using it. It was kind of a redirecting of like, listen, guys, we're defending World Series champs, and we just look like a 
a, a double A team out there against the Diamondbacks committing errors, things of that. Nature. Like if we want to get where we want to be, you're going to have to focus. We're going to have to we're going to have to raise it up to a uh, another level. And do I think that helped? Yeah. Now, you know who also has team meetings? The you know the Pirates, the the Diamondbacks, the Marlins. They all everybody has these closed door meetings to try to turn their season around. The the Marlins apparently had a closed door meeting to talk about how much they didn't like Jazz Chisholm. Who's their best player, by the way? <laughs> like, I, I, and that, that was reported by a number of different guys. And look, I, I think it's one of those things where anytime something goes bad, uh, it has been kind of a go-to. I mean, bringing it locally, talked to uh, high school football last year. Benedictine started out 0-2. Their coaches said, hey, we, we, we started out 0-2. The next Monday comes along. It's a holiday. I think it was Labor Day. And all the kids are in there, and the seniors are holding court with the team. Okay, I, I think it works. I think it works with certain teams and how they respond yeah. uh, to do it. Are they overhyped? I don't. I don't know. Uh, but it, but they might be a little bit because bad teams have 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 meetings sometimes too. Well, mm-hmm. and sometimes bad teams just say the heck with it and they they're like we we're terrible. <laughs> but I do think is, yeah. I do think where it seems to be most effective is when you have a team that has high expectations, high goals, high loft, high talent, high, everything is up here and you're playing below, that's when it works. Yep. If you're a mid-level team and you, and again, this is no, no disrespect. If you're a kind of an average team and you have a team meeting, I don't know if, you're, if it really gets you a whole lot more. And I think if you're a bad team, it might short-term get you to play a little bit better. But I think really where they're effective is when you have an underachieving team. If you have a team that's just achieving or a team that's bad and just like, look, no matter what we do or how many meetings we have, like we don't have the players they have. Yeah. Their payroll is a hundred and something million. We're paying forty three million. We have team meetings all day, right? We have team meeting every day. Closed door. They're outspending us by hundred and fifty million. There's only so much we can overcome uh, in, in that scenario. But I do think for teams that are underachieving, that are expected to play well, they can be very, very effective. Yeah, in my opinion, I just—it's one of those things that people keep pointing back to. He's like, Snit walked in. It was like he's not a guy for doing it. He's not a guy that likes to have a lot of team meetings. He's like, hey, we show up, we go about our business. We're pros. We don't do. But I think at that point, when you drop two to Arizona and you're going through a piece of your schedule where it's like, as you said, I don't like the oh well, look who you're playing. Exactly. That's the whole. That's the whole point. Why you have the meeting. It's not like we're playing the Yankees and the Blue Jays and all that in a row. We're playing teams you're supposed to beat, right? And so that's why I think this is that was a good time to do it because, again, I, I, that's one of my funny things now is people are like, oh, well, look who the Braves are playing. Well, go look at the September schedule for the Mets. There's seven games against Pittsburgh. They got some Marlins in there. They got some, like, there's some bad teams that they will play uh, as well. Uh, as far as I understand, everybody plays the same amount of games against other teams in the National League, and they share the uh, the interleague play uh, team. So whoever the Braves are playing now, the Pirates, I mean, the, the Mets will play later. Yeah. So it will kind of even itself out. My point of this thing is, is 13 games is hard in any sport, and they're doing mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. Now, 13 in a row, who knows? That That's crazy. But that's why you had the meeting of, guys, we're better than this. We're defending champs, and we're playing teams that are in last place. We don't play a team that has a winning record until June 20th, which is next week in San Francisco. you got San Francisco and the Dodgers. So you got to take advantage of that. And they finally uh, started doing that, and this is what you get. Look, I'm not making any excuses for, are they beating the, 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 the next World Series champ? No. No, they're not. 
But this is what good teams do. Like, no NFL team is apologizing for beating the Miami Dolphins or the New York Jets. Right? It's like, hey, I mean, if we're going to do that, does Tom Brady have to apologize for, like, a couple of Super Bowls? Because, like, literally the Bills sucked and then the Jets and the Dolphins (laughs) were awful. Right? Right before they turned around, it's like, you were playing in the, the worst division in football. And you were winning Super Bowls. Do you have to apologize because you had six games against horrid teams? No. You did what champions do. You beat them. Sure. That's, uh, that, that's, that, that, so, again, that's two different rants wrapped up in one segment. <laughs> but it, it is what it is. No, I, I do agree with you in, in certain contexts, though. Like, for, for one, there, there is a threshold. If, if you have a team meeting when, obviously, you don't have the resources to win a good amount of games in the first place, then the team meeting isn't going to do a lot. Right. right, like if the Browns of five years ago held the team meeting, that wasn't doing anything. You were purposefully <laughs> losing. And the same thing, like there's same. The thing owners with a, probably a, a came in and said, teams. "Quit having yeah, team, exactly. stop, stop having team meetings." Well, you guys are you're getting us scared out there. Yeah. We almost won today. What is this? <laughs> we went to overtime. This um, team meeting's going to cost us the number one pick. What in the world? Knock it off. What are you doing? So yeah, so like I I think there's that. Uh, man, that really got me. Uh, so I I think the other thing with. The, the schedule right now, too, is I agree with you. I also think it's like it's a stepping stone to me, right? Like, like you said, 13 in a row in any league, in any sport, it's, it's incredible. It doesn't matter who you're playing. And to me, it's like, okay, we said for a long time we need to see the Braves have a stretch, right? Because there just wasn't – there was two or three games maybe, and then they lose two or three, and off and on and off and on. Now they've had a stretch, right? No, they never – no, the, up until this streak, they had not won more than two in a row, and they hadn't lost go. more than two in a row. So, so yeah, they, there was no streak. <laughs> there was no streak. Now, now they've obviously overextended that quite a bit, right? Yeah. To me, it's just like, all right, now the, the next stepping stone is let's, let's see it against one of these, one of these better teams. I, I'm not discrediting what they've done already. Um, I'm, I'm just saying I can't wait. More so, I can't wait to see this team, how they're playing now against the Dodgers, against San Francisco. It's coming you know? up next week. And, and, and we'll see how that goes. Um, I think also, a uh, point you slipped in there as well, team meetings and, and addressing a team like this or really any type of leadership that goes away from the norm of that leadership catches a team's attention, without a doubt. Like you said, Brian Snicker, not, not one to do this a ton, right? Not one to, to get all riled up and, and crazy or anything like that at his players or whatever. But you know what? When you have a coach and he, 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 maybe he's, you're used to him being loud all the time, right? And then he gets quiet and he says, guys, and then he really addresses something like, oh, crap, this is serious. <laughs> yeah. Right? This is, this is, so you take it, you address it a little bit different. So, yeah, I think this is a situation where, sure, it, it might have helped. I think, sure, yeah, it, it does help that it happened during the weaker point of the, the schedule as well. But uh, as you said, it was reactionary to losing yeah. two games to, to a bad yeah. baseball team as well. And so. it's better, uh, again, they're better than what they were playing then. And obviously, that is the case where it is coming from everybody here with this Braves team right now. We've got more to come here. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Also streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, live video streaming. On uh, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Go to ESPN Coastal on YouTube. Give us a uh, subscribe and a, uh, a follow, and you can get notified every time we go live here on 3 and Out. It's 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here on 3 and Out. Kevin Thomas is here. Ben had to uh, step out, unfortunately. He had a family emergency. We'll 
Hope to have him back uh, soon. But PJ Zuko stepping in uh, here to uh, help us get you to Braves baseball a little bit later tonight. Ben, we'll have a, we'll have a conversation Ben had with Gregory Gibson earlier uh, today for uh, for Troop Talk uh, for you. And we'll hear from Cam Rogers of Believe. And he's national betting and golf analyst for them. We'll hear from him talking U.S. Open and certainly Live Tour versus PGA Tour. And that's been all on everybody's mind since that thing teed off. And where it feels like legacy and all these guys' legacies moving forward. So we'll talk about that in the final hour. As we count you down to Braves baseball, and I try to keep my voice from doing that, that was bad. I don't, I don't know hey, what it is. It happens every I mean, now and again. Who would have, have thought you could go through uh, you know, puberty at, at, at 40? But uh, there you go. Some say it happens a few times. So, I mean, I, I does it? Is that a I, thing? I have no idea. No, I don't think does you, so. Do you, like, do you go through, like, like, if I hit 50, does my voice get deeper? Is that I, Does that I happen? I don't know. That might. Uh, who knows? I, I haven't. <laughs> I'm just asking a question. I don't know. Do I feel like a lot of, like, older guys from, from like, the older age have, like, really deep voices and whatnot, well, especially when they get older. So, hey, Old maybe, man voice. I don't maybe, have that. Maybe that'll happen. Who knows? I also kind of have a theory that I don't know how deep I can get into this, but I feel like they probably drank and smoked a lot more than, <laughs> than we do. Especially nowadays, like just so they had some help general. is what you're saying. So most likely, because there's also guys you look back at pictures where they're like they got like full beards. They're 16 years old. You well, know, to like, be fair, I mean, I think you had that as well. Well, I mean, I was close, but not <laughs> I'm, not not as. Crazy I've never as been able to do that. Never. Know. I actually, you were talking about tattoos earlier today. I didn't want to be no, that's okay. Too rude, but you can get a tattoo of a beard. I could. Like, for work. those of you watching on the web stream on YouTube and, and Twitter, and Facebook, this right here is like, honest to God, like three weeks, no shave. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, so, yeah, I've, I've, I've not been one of those guys. But I always turn it around. Like, people are like, ha ha, you can't grow a beard. I'm like, do you shave every day? They're like, well, I mean, cut, sure. Well, I mean, I do, but okay. That's like me with, there you go, the that's end. Like me with tall people, man. I was like, <laughs> I can count. You're like on, being tall up there. Yeah, I can count on my hand how many times <laughs> I've hit my head on a doorpost or something. Guess what? Zero. Zero times. I haven't had to duck for anything my whole like life. Like it's not even a thought. It's fantastic. Not even a thought in your brain. Not at all. Hey, can I fit under this? Of course I can. <laughs> I'm five foot five. The problem is. I don't even have to duck. The problem is for, for tall folks, they're also like, PJ, can you, can you get that for me? Nope. Can you fit in that that space over there? I can't get in it. PJ, can you get up? Can, can you reach that? Do you have a chair? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm just saying it's like it's always in the small. Like one of my favorite, like low key, off to the side movies is U five seven one. Have you ever seen that movie? No, no. Uh, it's a it's a sub movie. Well, anyways, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen it, it's only like Whoa. a decade older or not. But <laughs> so something happens on the sub, and they have to have a discussion like. Hey, there's two small guys on the boat. One of them's got to go get in the small space. Who's it going to be? <laughs> it's like, I'm too big. Can't do it. That's... Need one of you small guys to go get in the, uh, in the, uh, the crawl space of the sub. Sure. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, just a little review there. We got more to come. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now it's Troop Talk with Ben Troop. If we're not victorious... Let no one come back alive. Not that kind of troop. This time.
What up, everybody? I am Ben Troop. This is Three and Out, and every week I sit down with one of the best among us uh, for Troop talking. Uh, my next guest uh, is no stranger to the big things uh, going on in the ATL. If you haven't been, if you haven't uh, seen uh, the Black Sports Biz Symposium, is going down uh, this uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And uh, my next guest is the founder of it, Mr. Greg Gibson Jr. How, how's everything going on with you today, Mr. Gregory? Everything is great, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I, I, I know. Listen, I know you've been. I know you've. Uh, I know you've uh, had a chance to walk around with the mayor today. How how has uh, how has it been uh, bringing something like the Black Sports Biz to uh, you know the city of Atlanta, uh, the uh, Mercedes Benz Stadium? How has it been for you? Look, it's been amazing. The only place that I would ever kick this off would be Atlanta. It is the perfect place, as it's referred to as the mecca. If I was going to bring anything around black people in sports, it was going to kick off here. So I'm excited to be here. And I like the fact that we kept it specific. I mean, I think too often at times when you talk about media, people will say, why the black sports biz? Why Why so specific? Why did you uh, make it a point to say, look, I need to bring all these uh, black professionals, students alike, men, women in this industry to bring them to the Mecca uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, to make sure that we all get to be around each other, learn from each other, grow from each other, and potentially have some collaboration and partnerships? Well, it's because intentionality matters and there's strength in numbers. Right? Like this is very much a conference to bring people together for development, for networking, for inspiration, but it's also a show of force. These are black professionals and students that, whose voices need to be heard, who, who need to be developed, need to be encouraged, and bringing everybody together to create a home for black, uh, black professionals within sports and those who endeavor to be in sports. I felt like that might be one of the better ways to create some of the change that we're looking to see. And Greg and Wayne, when you talk about something of this magnitude, I understand that it's, uh, it's going down, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But what behind the scenes, uh, what, what, what kind of undertaking did you have to go through to put, the, put together something of this magnitude? It's been two years of planning. It's been two years of planning to put this together. Truth be told, we, I held an event. So I'm also the founder of the HBCU Battle of the Brains. And when the pandemic started, we held a mentoring event virtually, we had a lot of our students reach out to share that, you know, job wrecks had been pulled. There was some confusion. It was a pandemic. We were entering into it and didn't know what to expect. You know, and coming out of that, we had quite a few mentors that, that emerged that were executives within sport that shared that, uh, hey, if, if a student got to meet with me, they have access to the sports industry. But if they didn't, then they, they remain as iced out as they were prior to the event. So my co-founders, uh, Kevin Dimoff and Steve Weish, Kevin Dimoff of the Los Angeles Rams, Steve Weish of the NFL Network, we just had a conversation. I was sitting in a hotel in Atlanta, and we had like a three-hour FaceTime discussing what all this could be and the impact that we wanted to create. Because, again, we remember what was going on in June of 2020. I don't have to restate any of that. And then we just kind of dove in, right? Like uh, Arthur Blank expressed his interest in really supporting this initiative. So they came on board really early in the process. It's how it's part of how we were able to to, to, to host this event in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, uh, and the support that they provided for the students and so forth. And then we just kind of socialized this internally uh, within the industry, which is why we have such an amazing group of speakers uh, and educators, is what I'd like to refer to them uh, as coming together. But it was definitely. Uh, an undertaking that's two years in the making. We are dealing with real change. Again, we were dealing with a world that refused to get right. You know what I mean? So initially, this was going to take place in 2021, uh, but we knew that it would be important to host this in person. Uh, there's something about connectivity that matters and building our community and building it stronger. So uh, 
we're we are so excited, so excited to kick things off tomorrow. Talking with Greg, Gregory Gibson Jr., founder of HBCU Battle of the Brains and founder of Black Sports Biz, the Black Sports Biz Symposium going down in Atlanta, GA at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You talk about a guy like, you talk about Steve Watch. I mean, a guy who the great thing I love about Steve Watch is obviously you see him on television, does a, does an incredible job. Him and his partner in crime, Jim Trotter. You know, I be you know I'm definitely a big fan of those guys. But he doesn't stray away from black issues. He doesn't stray away from speaking up because a lot of times, you know, how it is Greg. When you have a platform, people are think, no, Steve, man, you already in a sense made it as far as like your career goes. Why do you keep speaking out? Talk about having him as a partner, a guy who's in the trenches as far as like as far as like the National Football League goes, but the guy who has influence on a lot of people in the industry. Absolutely. Look, Steve Weiss has been a godsend as it relates to pulling things together. We all bring different skill sets and different networks to the equation. And if there was anybody solely responsible or holistically responsible for Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, I will say, Coach Prime Deion Sanders, uh, kicking off the event as our, as our day one closer, it's Steve Weiss. He's connected and, again, intentional about ensuring that the opportunities for our black and brown students, not just for, for the symposium and Battle of the Brains, which he's connected to both of them, uh, but also through his HBCU Legacy Bowl that he hosts. Like, the work that he does in this space speaks for itself, uh, and it's amazing to have him as a partner. Gregory, talk about the HBCU influence. I know you keep talking about, obviously, Steve watching what he did for the Legacy Bowl, being able to get a guy like Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, uh, you know, uh, at Jackson State. Talk about HBCUs and making sure something like this is just as big for them because when we think about uh, the legacies in colleges and universities, it doesn't get bigger for black people for HBCUs. Well, our HBCUs are vital. They're pillars to our black community. And the one thing that I am clear on is that that number will either stay the same or go down. It will never increase. So we have to be extremely intentional in our fight to not only include them but hold them up and lift them up. I am not an HBCU graduate. Part of why I I, I founded HBCU Battle of the Brains is I saw a lot of the other institutions that were hosting things that were focused on black gradually go to where the money is. And I I won't get much deeper than that, but I will say that the, the... one of the premises of creating an event that's focused on HBCUs is as long as HBCUs remain black, our impact remains black. And that's the, that's the, the group of folks that, that I've locked into wanting to help succeed. And it's, it's not in opposition to anyone else as much as really loving my people and wanting to provide them with as many opportunities as humanly possible. Talk about Gregory Gibson, founder of HBCU Battle of the Brains, as well as the Black Sports Biz, the Black Sports Biz Symposium going down in Atlanta, GA, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Gregory, being intentional, I keep on, you keep on using that word over and over again. How, how important is it that, you know, it's going to be a lot of speakers, it's going to be a lot of people of influence at the symposium for the next three days. How important is it for us to walk out of this thing understanding you need to be intentional in what you're doing, no matter what work you're doing in this industry, to make sure that when we have an opportunity to be able to bring, you know, uh, bring, uh, bring, out, bring us together to make sure that we are doing our part to help each other because, you know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in this industry. I thank God for it every single day. But every time, you know, a young black man, a young black girl comes up to me, asks me how, I want to be able to tell them, look, these are the type of uh, resources I have. These are the type of people you could talk to. Talk about being intentional and making sure that we at least are bringing, we're going to take a lot of things from it exactly, but making sure we have that mindset walking out of there. Absolutely. I think it's really easy to get distracted by life, right? Like, I'm not going to state my age, but I graduated high school in the 90s. I'll just put it that way. And one of the things that my dad told me growing up was uh, even the person who won the lottery planned to win the lottery by buying a ticket. 
It is extremely important to be intentional because there are a host of things that will come up that will move you off your rock. And if you lose focus of that, all the things that were well-intended that you wanted to do, you'll look back on and say, I wish. I don't want to say I wish when I leave this earth. And I don't know how much time I have on this earth. I hope it's another hundred years. But I want to spend that time doing everything that I can, which is why all the things that I do are in alignment. There's a connectivity to each one of those things to help further that mission. And I think for anybody who wants to get anywhere that they actually prescribed for themselves, they have to be intentional about getting there. Talk with Gregory Gibson, Jr., founder of HBCU Ballad of HBCU Battle of the Brains, as well as uh, this Black Sports Biz, the Black Sports Biz Symposium going down at uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, GA. Greg, was, it, was, it, was this, uh, you know, I, I, growing up, my grandma would always tell me that everybody has a moment. And, and you know, I'm a, and that's my great-grandma saying it. I mean, she's saying everybody, did, did you feel as though this was your moment? We all have things that we want to do in this life. We have things we want to achieve. But there are some times that, you know, you get an inkling to do something to say, man, I might not know how big this is. I might not know how impactful this is. But, you know, the HBCU Battle of the, you know, Battle of the Brains, that's one. But the HBCU, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the Black Sports Biz, did you feel as though this was my moment? Because as you mentioned, it was supposed to happen in 2021. What made you realize and say, look, I have to make sure this thing comes to the forefront because I'm doing this for more than just me? I don't start anything I don't plan on finishing. And the reason why I wanted to push forward with this is we saw the change. And we can look around for whoever else should be involved with this and try to find out who the right person is. I don't see this as my moment because it's not about me. It is our moment. Anybody who knows me, and I look forward to getting to know everybody who walks through that door, knows that the work that I do is focused on us because we are, we are the star. We are good enough. We are important enough to be showcased. It's why, again, we have our professionals here in a football stadium, in a soccer stadium. The people that are in this industry are equally as responsible for the success of these teams and leagues, and we wanted to show them how important that they are to this. So I'm not deflecting around it being my moment. I'm just telling you that it's not. It's a moment for us and our people to come together in ways that we have it in sports. Gregory Gibson, Jr., founder of HBCU Battle of the Brains, founder of Black Sports Biz, the Black Sports Biz Symposium going down in the ATL at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Gregory, when you think about all the speakers, I've, I've, never, I've never been to, I've been to a symposium before. I've never seen one this many speakers and this many people of impact. How, how were you guys able to get this, you know, this many speakers? I mean, I'm seeing Jamel Hill. I'm seeing, you know, L. Duncan. I'm seeing Coach Prime. I'm seeing, you know, uh, you know Mr. Warren. How did you guys go about picking who you picked and, how, you know, and what, what type of time and energy goes into that? Look, you're part of this industry, so you know that word moves quickly, right? So when we first started socializing, and again, this is two years of planning, the more you get the message out, the more people will come to you and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. I've got this idea. Like, this is for the right reasons, right? It's for helping our students have a better opportunity to get in. It's for better nurturing to pour into them from what this world takes out of them. So it's easy to get people aligned with, hey, I want to do this, and I want to speak to my people, and I want to pour into them. And it's not a, nobody's come with the, with the egos of, I need this, or my writer says this. It's, I want to be in the building to ensure that this goes as well as possible, as impactful as possible. So it, it, it wasn't an ask. This isn't Hollywood. This was very much about let's all come together. Atlanta's an easy place to get to. And, yes, uh, you, you speak about the number of speakers. I live in Austin, Texas, and I've been there since 1999. And I share that to say I'm a child of South by Southwest. I've grown up with that. 
So a lot of how I built this was to mirror after creating a black South by Southwest. So if you think that this is, is big, stay tuned for what we have coming in future years. Gregory Gibson Jr., founder of HBCU Battle of the Brains, as well as founder of the Black Sports Biz, the Black Sports Biz Symposium, going down Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Everybody's going to be there. I'm definitely going to be there. So I'm, I, this is not something I want to hear about it. I want to be about it by being in the seats. Gregory, I appreciate you taking the time, sir. Look forward to meeting you. Likewise, likewise, brother. I appreciate you. Love the show. And I look forward to you being in the building tomorrow. Appreciate it.